Hello from Education International in Brussels. This is Ed Voices, a podcast of global education news and advocacy. EI is more than 400 teacher and educator unions and professional associations in 173 countries representing 32 million members. Here's your host. Hello, my name is Claude Carré for Education International. Welcome to Ed Voices, our podcast series. Today I'm with uh, Stephen Cotton, Joint Secretary of the International Transport Workers Federation, also head of the Council of Global Unions. We had the pleasure to have you yesterday in the plenary to open the Congress. And here, that's where the world's educators meet. So, in your eyes, what's the importance of education in shaping the future of work? The, the, I mean, these qu questions kind of follow a logical form. If you believe that trade unionism and the free democratic movement of people, which is what trade unions are, is part of the fabric of society, then you have to respect education and you have to invest in education. So for me, they're, they're, you know, if I say unions or labour are one pillar of democracy, inside that pillar of democracy, the importance of quality education. Quality public education is critical. And uh, when we talk about the challenges to the future world, we need to mesh those answers to the changing face of values and how do we respond, but we also need educators to help us translate the intellectual's vision of what the future of work is going to look like. So we need people with skill and we need to value that as a profession of the utmost quality. There is no chance of fighting our way out of poverty for many of our global societal members if we don't provide them good education because that's the tool, that's the most productive tool to give them the opportunity to create their own future improve their mental capacity, but also change the shape of the world. Then when it comes to the future of the world, we're gonna need a different kind of education. We're gonna need some different skills, some of the traditional responsibilities in whichever of our sectors that we represent in the Global Council. Again, some of that's gonna change. And then, you know, it's common, it's common theory that we won't know some of the jobs that we're talking about in 2050, for argument's sake. So that means we need a different kind of education that allows adult learning to perpetually change. And we have to, again, and this is also part of the changing dynamic about the appreciation of educators, it's not you finish your university education and then you have a job for life in that skill set. You actually have to look at what is the skills going to be needed, how are we going to respect education and provide education for adults to encourage them to stay in the system, to stay employed. And that's about the concept of you know, self-esteem. If you don't have a, a good job and a role in society and you're not a provider for your family, man or woman, whichever generation, you wonder where you fit. And we see many, many sort of societal challenges now for people that get displaced by society. And it's absolutely critical that we, that we recognition, recognize sorry, that education is a fundamental part of self-esteem self-confidence and then the capacity to make your contribution to society. Mm, that's right. Now, a big victory for workers in education, transport, any sector really, is the adoption, not so long ago, of an ILO 
Convention recommendation on violence and harassment on the workplace. I know that Global Union Federation have been involved, ITC, ITF, EI. Can you tell us more about that process, what yeah. this means? I think, um, again, in, in looking at the polarised world we're living in, some of the United Nations bodies, particularly the International Labour Organization, is fighting to defend its reputation. Um, and we see you know, Donald Trump saying on occasions, why do we pay money to these institutions? And in that very process, he undervalues what is for the ILO a hundred year celebration this year of what it's done. And let's make no mistake, trade unions need counterparts in whichever part of the role they play now. And the ILO is the only United Nations body where workers have a voice and we come together with employers and governments. So let's reaffirm our commitment to some of these bodies because that's where we go and we have it out. That's where we have our disagreements and we try to hold employers or countries accountable for their abuses on, on workers' rights or other human rights abuses. And, and it's critical that we play a role, take our responsibility and frankly deliver. Now, why is this critical? Uh, the ITF was successful in 2006 in introducing the Maritime Labour Convention, which was one of their last biggest conventions that provides a, a sort of safety, safety net for seafarers globally, and we're very proud of that. But this one is different. This one is about violence in the workplace, and um, you know, as we talk about at an educators' uh, congress, and we need to recognise the critical role that, that women play in society and young people running a um, slightly different agenda but running in parallel as a need and therefore the abuse of power in the workplace and also the abuse of power domestic power is an issue about equality and justice and fairness so this convention comes from the coalition of uh, Sharon Burroughs and her leadership of the ITUC bringing together the GUFs the ITF played a role along with the other global unions where we brought our own union bosses, union delegates who had their own case studies. And why this one works so well, and, make, and let me be very clear, it's a really tough, hard process over a four year period to get it, to get it over the line in, in Geneva um, earlier this month. Um, it was because we brought case studies. We brought brutal examples of abuse of power in the workplace from all over the world. This isn't a Global South, Global North argument. This is all over the world. And I won't go online into some of the detail of what the abuse of power leads to, but it is humiliating and degrading for those people on the receiving end. And we can't allow that. That's a fundamental point for trade unionists that we will not accept the abuse of power. So bringing the different case studies together, mobilizing a group, and I will say the overwhelming majority were very powerful, persuasive women who co-aligned around this, this determination to get a convention. So, you know, it was a pri privilege to be in the backdrop, watching them lead, um, packed halls, working 14, 16, 18 hours a day to get it over the line. But I think that was a success and, you know, we don't have, you know, we don't celebrate our successes enough and I want to put on record my thanks to all of the delegates, the secretariats, Sharon and her team, for having the vision and the leadership um, to, to take it on, but it doesn't didn't finish with the you know with the convention being adopted. We've now got to get it ratified, and again we need two countries to get it ratified. Sounds simple, and I believe that's very possible. 
But the reality is you don't want a really good convention on a really critical issue about harassment and bullying to not actually be implemented. So we're going to work as the council, as the ITUC, to try to guarantee that we put together a programme where we distribute responsibility across the GUFs, we reach out to our affiliates to make sure that we align in the, in the power blocks to get some momentum, European Union, we're going to target countries that we believe are more favourable, example Canada, um, I would love to say Australia, but after the, the unlucky election for our friends in the Labour Party, they didn't get over the line, but we, were tar we will target countries with parliaments that we believe will be favourable to the to the ratification and then implementation international legislation and then of course the next phase is to make sure that we educate people about the fact that it's one it has to be brought into national legislation but then it's there and you could see this improving collective bargaining agreement and you could see this being a convention that goes all the way from a concept through the international labor organization actually to impact workers in the workplace and i think that will be our success and judge us when we've delivered that and let's let's do a coalition of all of the global unions together with ITUC together with their national centers to make sure we can show real unity to deliver this critical um, help for workers in the workplace um, now with your hat as head of the Council of global unions so what's your vision for it and which type of action would you like to see all Global Union Federation undertake together, representing so many million people in the world going for one goal at some point? I think, I think that's probably the most difficult question of all the ones you've put to me. And I don't think there's a, a finite answer, but I think um, we, you know, this kind of, the role kind of moves around as the chair. So I think what I would like to do in my term is guarantee that all of the global union uh, global union federations have mutual respect for each understand each other understand the collective memberships and then start to pinpoint areas where it's natural to cooperate um, and you know in the speech yesterday it's kind of with a sense of irony I said what can a transport worker general secretary say to a group of educators well, the reality is we do share the same values. We've identified that in this short spot. But we also have areas of interest that are potentially um, mutual. So let's talk about the future of work and the use of data and the challenges that my transport workers, our national unions, the global supply chain that is so dependent, the global economy is so dependent on. Right now, there's a battle between traditional transport operators and software developers about who owns the data because it seems to me that data's you know the new gold or the new oil or whichever way you want to describe it because it gives you a business advantage and it gives you opportunity if you can um, dissect it or algorithm it if there's such a statement then you're in front of the game and that challenge is just as pertinent to educators because there seems to be, uh, I'd say morbid, but I'm not sure it's quite the right word, a morbid fascination with investing in startups to rip down what are historical institutions that have proven their value time and time again. And I'm talking about 
artificial intelligence to replace educators. Now, to me, tertiary education is more than just answering questions. It's forming young minds, it's shaping opinion, it's building confidence and capacity, and I've yet to see a single computer that can give you any of those values. So there you go, there's one different and complex ways of how we pull it together, but we're fighting about data, and then we're fighting about how it's used. So there's a common ground, I think, for all the guffs in the space of the future of work, and we've, as the ITF, committed to host a sort of collaboration, I'm not quite sure if we're gonna get it in this year, but certainly a collaboration of Global Council, ITUC, about what is the future of work. One, to make sure we share our research and we're not all reproducing the same pieces of information and all dissecting in different ways. So key issue, trust, confidence, sharing. Um, then the next question is, what are we gonna do about it? Who do we lobby? It's like, there's, as I say, there's a fascination and you know we exist in a lot of the bodies where these fascinations exist. You know, we have a good re re relationship with the World Economic Forum, but they're, they're all looking for the cutting edge issues. And you know, sometimes it's not so easy for us to say this is what the policy should be. But first of all, we have to make sure that we're well informed, that we have the understanding of what's going on, and then we need to start proposing, as I said yesterday, and I will continue to say, that vision is having a, a leadership about what solutions have union values. And that's, that's, that's a challenge for today's leadership because not only do we have to make sure that we're democratic, powerful, but open and supporting and promoting equality, making sure there's sufficient space in our leadership for women and I hate to join the two because it's not really the right point, but young people also need to have ownership of the future of trade unionism. But these issues about the future are absolutely critical to, to, to how we shape that future. And as I say at the beginning, there isn't one answer to all these questions, but we have to explore all the different options. You know, we, we have a lot of challenges in transportation about automation. We believe you automate tasks, you don't automate jobs. And we can, we've all seen, you know, we all pick up a smartphone and we use it for things that used to have someone doing a job. You know, we're in Thailand, we all flew here. Um, well, except the toys, of course, but the point is, in reality, you all use your app and you book online, and that used to be a check-in person and someone in the back office somewhere issuing a ticket. That's all changed, and we're not against technology, but what we are against is the abuse of that technology and without a worker's voice to make sure that we have a say about what our future society looks like. And, and just sort of without labouring the point, there is also sometimes to me a view that governments leave a gap they don't know what the answer should be, so they leave it to multinationals. And you know, they have a vested interest in creating markets and driving down costs and these kind of challenges. And uh, I, you know, I'm not saying we want to go to big government, but like reality, governments have to have a policy on some of these issues. Because if you displace a worker, whether it's a teacher, a lecturer, a forklift truck driver, a truck driver, a bus driver, where are they gonna go? And how are we gonna make sure they have a role in society for their well-being, their family well-being, their, their mental stability. All these issues are interrelated and it's critical that we, we have a labour response. And it may well be that this is where you know, an, an untraditional alliance between transport workers, educators and PSI and uni for medical workers or medical health are all part of the same, different, different, from a different lens, but we all have part of the same problem and I think what I'd like to do as the Global Council Chair for a short period of time is 
focus on the areas where we have common interest and, and share really effectively. To get the latest global education news and advocacy, subscribe to Ed Voices on your favorite podcast app or anytime on SoundCloud. And as always, tell a friend, spread the word, and please give us a review on iTunes.